Surrender and the New Missionary. Welcome. It's time to look into the life and message of Elizabeth Elliot once again. She's the one who called us to live to a higher standard and not be satisfied with just a little religion. That's a shallow substitute for giving God our best. In this series, as we continue in the coming weeks, we'll hear from family, friends, and others who are influenced by Elizabeth's life and message. We're in the midst of a 24-part series on Amy Carmichael. Today, Surrender and the New Missionary. We'll be hearing from Juana Michaels, a friend of Elizabeth. Elizabeth inspired her through notes, an encouragement for us to uh, send a note once in a while. And the president of the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation, Kathy Rieg, has some thoughts about Elizabeth's last days and how she lived what she taught. Well, first, we have part five of the Amy Carmichael story. It's simply entitled, Surrender. Are we willing to surrender? Hudson Taylor said, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supplies. You are loved with an everlasting love. That's what the Bible says. And underneath are the everlasting arms. This is your friend, Elizabeth Elliot. Talking with you again today about Amy Carmichael, specifically about the matter of surrender. I think the thing which is so powerful is that every word Amy Carmichael wrote in her 40 books has for me the ring of reality. And as I delved into her private papers, the ring of reality was there. She was not dishing out to other people a word that she had not bought with her own suffering. And God help us who write or who speak publicly. If we are dishing out to others that which we ourselves have never experienced, that which has no foundation in the deepest hidden places of our lives, I read a few days ago from Amy Carmichael's little book called If. I want to read some more. Now, this was written many years later than the early years that I'm going to be telling you about today. But when I read this, you will see a deep spirituality. Then I will tell you about some of the struggles that undoubtedly lay behind the lessons that she had learned. Every page in this book, If, begins with the word if and ends with the words, then I know nothing of Calvary love. Listen. If I hold on to choices of any kind just because they are my choice, if I give any room to my private likes and dislikes, then I know nothing of Calvary love. If I put my own happiness before the well-being of the work entrusted to me, if, though I have this ministry and have received much mercy, I faint, then I know nothing of Calvary love. If I am soft to myself and slide comfortably into the vice of self-pity and self-sympathy, if I do not, by the grace of God, practice fortitude, then I know nothing of Calvary love. 
I told you in my last talk about Amy's call to the mission field. But she agonized over leaving her widowed mother and a dear old man, Mr. Robert Wilson, whom she had come to call the D.O.M., with whom she lived. She was the light of his life, the age of the only daughter that he had ever had who had died. She was like a daughter to him. How could she leave him? How could she go to the other side of the world? Well, this is what she wrote to her mother. I feel as though I had been stabbing someone I loved. Through all the keen, sharp pain which has come since Wednesday, the certainty that it was his voice I heard has never wavered, though all my heart has shrunk from what it means, though I seem torn in two. She quoted the words of Jesus, which cut deeply. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. He that loveth father or mother more than me is unworthy of me. To obey is better than sacrifice. On January 16th, in firm, clear handwriting, Mrs. Carmichael wrote to Amy, My own precious child, he who hath led will lead all through the wilderness. He who hath fed will surely feed. He who hath heard my cry will never close his ear. He who hath marked thy faintest sigh will not forget thy tear. He loveth always, faileth never, so rest on him today forever. Yes, dearest Amy, he has lent you to me all these years. He only knows what a strength, comfort, and joy you have been to me. In sorrow he made you my staff and solace. In loneliness my more than child companion. And in gladness my bright and merry-hearted sympathizer. So darling, when he asks you now to go away from within my reach, can I say nay? No, no, Amy. He is yours. You are his. To take you where he pleases and to use you as he pleases. I can trust you to him, and I do. All day he has helped me, and my heart unfailingly says, Go ye. Now, I spoke the other day about what it means to be a Christian. It means to identify yourself wholly, thoroughly, unreservedly with Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. What does that mean in practical terms? Well, to Mrs. Carmichael, this is what it meant right here. With God, she was able to say, Go ye to that precious daughter, that one who was the light of her life. Am I speaking to some mother or father who is gripping a beloved child with both hands and saying, No, you can't go. You can't leave me like this. You can't do this to us. You have no right to do this. What is God wanting to do with that child? To whom does that child belong? It never belonged to you. He or she never belonged to you. That child belonged to God, 
from the moment it was conceived in the mother's womb. It was lent to you. That little child was lent to you to rear for God. And when you have done that job, you must let that child go. Talk about surrender, relinquishment, the cross, cutting straight across one's own desires. If you refuse it, then you know nothing of Calvary love. Amy's mother wrote more of the sufficient grace she could count on, of the everlasting love, of the smallness of life, of her willingness to give her child into the loving arms of God. And as for Mr. Wilson, she comforted Amy by saying, God has his happiness in his keeping. And then here's another evidence of grace. Mr. Wilson wrote to comfort Mrs. Carmichael in the giving up of her dear child for the Lord's work among the heathen. I know something of what it must cost you. It hardly seems a case for anything but bowing the head in thankful acquiescence when the Lord speaks thus to one so dear. The future seems changed to me. She has been and is more than I can tell you to me, but not too sweet or too loving to present to him who gave himself for us. Then Amy had to learn some hard, painful lessons in criticism. She was criticized by Mr. Wilson's sons for leaving their old sickly father. What right had she to do that? She was criticized by some of the Keswick leaders whom she most admired. Their words cut like knives. They said she was merely enchanted by the notion of a foreign land. She had to learn the lesson of misjudgment, misunderstanding. She didn't know where to go. Should it be Africa, China, Ceylon? She offered herself to the China Inland Mission. There was no psychological screening. There was no language school. There were no jungle camps. And in August, the decision came that she could be interviewed in London. So down she went to London with the dear old man, Mr. Wilson, and she met there a missionary named Geraldine Guinness who wrote this note to her. Can ye, can ye drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Can God, ye shall indeed, for with God all things are possible. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me. Father, glorify thy name. For this cause came I unto this hour. And on the back of that note, Amy Carmichael wrote this sometime later. Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. An exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief who for the joy that was set before him endured, as seeing him who is invisible. O oh, small shall seem all sacrifice and pain and loss, when God shall wipe the weeping eyes. For suffering, give the victor's prize, the crown for cross. I will trust and not be afraid. January 
1892. That was the date of her hearing the call, Go Ye. September 1892. That was the date on which she went to the China Inland Mission Home in London. January 1893. That was the date on which she heard God say, Go to Japan. March 3rd, 1893. She sailed for Japan. God was faithful. Amy was prepared to surrender herself totally into his hands. Part five of the Amy Carmichael story, Surrender. A little bit later, we'll hear Gateway to Joy 279, the new missionary. Right now, Juana Michaels, a friend of Elizabeth, talks about notes that were an inspiration to her. And each time I received the cream-colored envelope with her return address in Massachusetts on the back, my heart would soar because I knew that here was a personal note from Elizabeth Elliot. And I admired her so much that it just increased my eagerness to be all the more obedient to the Lord and to, to strive to be this Christian wife and this Christian mother that I was learning about from Elizabeth. I was already a committed Christian. I had, was a new Christian just a couple years before, but it was this learning of how to practically work out my faith as a mother and as a wife especially that was so important in my life because I didn't have that training in my upbringing. Writer Juana Michaels, a friend of Elizabeth. Later today, we'll be hearing from Kathy Rieg, the president of the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation, the umbrella organization working to collect and share many of the resources of Elizabeth Elliott. She'll talk some about Elizabeth's last days and the example that she set. Right now, part six of the Amy Carmichael story, The New Missionary. We've been speaking from my book, A Chance to Die, the biography of Amy Carmichael. Amy Carmichael is perhaps best known as the founder of a missionary work in India called the Donavur Fellowship, and she's very well known because of her book entitled If. Let me read one page from that book. If the moment I am conscious of the shadow of self crossing my threshold... I do not shut the door, and in the power of him who works in us to will and to do, keep that door shut. Then I know nothing of Calvary love. Amy went through some agonizing struggles in having to say goodbye to her mother, her family, and to a dear old man named Mr. Robert Wilson, whom she had come to love and who had come to love her like a daughter. Just a week or so ago, my husband had dinner with a lawyer and his wife, and they're Christians, and the lawyer had read this book, and he said to me, it was terrific, it was an amazing testimony, but he said, you know, I really find it hard to understand that kind of commitment. And I said, well, you're a Christian, aren't you? And he said, yes, of course. He said, I, I have to confess that I haven't given quite all to God. I mean, I, I, I just haven't gone that far. I haven't 
certainly don't have the kind of dedication that Amy Carmichael had. He said, how, how, how do you explain it? How do you, how, how do you think it happened? Well, I said, let's look at it this way. I said, what is any man after in this world? Let's just take a common example. A man wants a good job. He wants to make a lot of money, if possible. He wants some recognition and distinction. Say that really the thing that he wants most in all the world is just a lot of money. That's his goal. Now, what is he prepared to do in order to get that? Pick up the newspaper any day and you're going to read all sorts of stories of people who have ended up in jail because they were prepared to do a lot of illegal things. They've taken all sorts of risks in order to reach their goal. But generally speaking, when a man is driven by a thoroughly secular goal, he will pay a pretty high price. He is prepared to sacrifice his time and very often his family. Isn't that true? Yeah, he said, I can see that. Well, I said, what's the difference? In the degree of dedication. Amy Carmichael's goal was to please her Lord, to build, not in wood, hay, and stubble, but in gold and silver and precious stones, things that can abide the fire. She was prepared to make any sacrifice for that goal. So the question is not how she did it or why the dedication, but what kind of a goal did she have? It was one that was really worth dying for, and therefore it was worth living for. Well, Amy was struggling about what field God wanted her to go to. She believed that God was saying to her, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go somewhere where the gospel has never been heard. And one day the thought came to her that she should go to Japan. She didn't know a soul in Japan, but her friend, the D.O.M., did, a man named Barclay Buxton. So he wrote to Barclay Buxton, asked him if Amy could come and work with him, And before he even received a reply from Mr. Buxton, he booked a passage for Amy to Shanghai. When Amy boarded the ship, she described the farewell at the docks in Tilbury. In my book, I've said this, farewells to those leaving nowadays by jet plane are nothing compared to the protracted agonies of dockside partings. Now the traveler simply disappears into the jetway. It's a mere walking into another room. But then it was gangplanks, hours of visiting on board, the all-ashore, the deep-throated whistles, the throwing off of moorings, the slow glide away from the dock, the almost imperceptible widening of the great gulf between voyager and loved ones, the straining to discern to the last possible moment the diminishing face. When Amy sailed, friends stood on the wharf and sang, Crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne. And like a river glorious is God's perfect peace. One of the Keswick hymns. The singing went on for more than an hour. The same hymns sung again and again. Amy stood by the rail, watching intently the dear, wrinkled face of the old man. Each, she wrote, on the human side, was broken. When many years later she held up before prospective missionary recruits the standard of the cross of Jesus, no one could say that she did not know whereof she spoke. 
If there was peace in her heart at that moment, it was nothing less than Jesus' last gift to his own, my own peace, such as the world cannot give. Set your troubled hearts at rest and banish your fears. It was the peace her friends were singing about like a river glorious, but it did not utterly cancel the pain. As the ship rounded the last corner, there stood the dear old man again, having hiked a half mile down the docks for a last glimpse. They were close enough to call out Bible verses to each other, and a phrase Amy remembered from the farewell meeting. Jesus has two nail-pierced hands. He lays one upon each and parts us so. He does the parting. Well, she got to Japan. The people that she thought were going to meet her were not there. She didn't find a friendly white face anywhere. She didn't know a word of Japanese. As she told the story later, she said she laughed until she was positively aching at the absurdity of the whole affair. They were tumbled out onto the shore with all of their luggage, and there she was. But God, in his mercy, sent on an American trader who was thoroughly stunned to find this cheerful and diminutive foreigner at his door. She had gotten a rickshaw, and because she was white, the rickshaw man assumed that she wanted to see this white man who happened to be the only one he knew. So there was this American girl at the door of this stunned trader. He was able to direct her to the home of missionaries, an American girl and an old lady who had not been expecting Amy, but they had been expecting the missionary who was to have met her. And she wrote, they were perfect saints. That evening I was safe with them. One day while she was waiting for the people that were to meet her, she took a walk along the sea. It was a gray sea and a gray drizzle. And a casual remark was dropped, which elicited an astonished question from Amy. You don't mean to say, the missionary replied, that you think all missionaries love one another. That was precisely what she had thought. How could it be any other way? No faintest foreshadowing of the purposes of God was mine that morning, she wrote, but I remember the thoughts that rushed through me then. What of see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently? Was such a life lived nowhere? It was a gray day with a gray sea, a gray drizzle, and gray thoughts. But it spurred her to prayer, to an earnest beseeching that the Lord would enable her to love as he commanded us to love. And one more word from her book, If. If, when I am able to discover something which has baffled others, I forget him who revealeth the deep and secret things, and knoweth what is in the darkness, and showeth it to us. If I forget that it was he who granted that ray of light to his most unworthy servant, then... I know nothing of Calvary love. Amy adopted Japanese dress. She wanted to become as much like the Japanese people as possible, only in order to avoid distractions. One day, when she was telling the good news to an old lady by interpretation, she thought that the old lady was ready to turn to Christ in faith, when suddenly she noticed Amy's hands. 
It was very cold that day, and Amy was wearing fur gloves. I cannot remember whether we were able to recall her to what mattered so much more than gloves, she said. But this I do remember. I went home, took off my English clothes, put on my Japanese kimono, and never again, I trust, risked so much for the sake of so very little. Amy was prepared for sacrifice. The food was sometimes pretty tough to take. When traveling, she said, this is the sort of thing she might be given, native fish paste, pale mud-colored and nasty, semi-boiled animal, nature unknown, eggs, young and old, perfectly raw fish, brown seaweed, black beans in a liquid-like senna tea, chicken, usually a fowl of much experience, in sugary juice, leathery scraps floating about in some terribly fishy liquid, sliced bamboo, lily roots, odoriferous radish, seaweed, sea ears, sea slugs, plus pickle, plus rice. Now, some of you Japanese listeners out there, you think that sounds like a delicious menu, but every man to his own taste. And, of course, if Amy was willing to say where he leads me, I will follow. She was also willing to say what he feeds me, I will swallow. The life of a new missionary is going to involve a cross. It involves the same thing for you and me, doesn't it? If we're followers of Jesus Christ. That was part six of our 24-part series, The Amy Carmichael Story. That was called The New Missionary. Well, before we go, we hear from Elizabeth Elliott Foundation President Kathy Reek as she talks about Elizabeth's memory issues that she dealt with in her latter years, the way she lived her life, and what it taught others. It was Elizabeth who recognized that she was putting things in wrong places and not remembering things. She went to the doctor herself. No one coerced her or no one told her to. She went. And so when she found out, she knew. And they discussed it with the diagnosis at first. But it was just allowing God to walk through that process with them. And she fully surrendered. Whatever that looked like, she did. That's pretty powerful because a lot of people don't accept that or don't accept a diagnosis of whatever it might be god could have healed her and i think you know i know that was valerie's prayer all of the rest of her life that god would heal her she lived out what she taught i mean she really really did it wasn't as easy as maybe it appeared to be uh even in later years and not just with dementia but in relationships and she was she was committed to Jesus and she was committed to the vows she made and she continued. And that's how she could write as well as she could write because she was living, living out much of that on a daily basis. The president of the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation, Kathy Reek. Well, it looks as though our time is coming to an end. Thanks for letting us come into your home, your office, your jogging routine, wherever we found you today. On behalf of the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation, in cooperation with the Bible Broadcasting Network, 
Thanks for uh, coming and checking out the resources available at elizabethelliot.org. Lectures, talks, devotionals, videos, Gateway to Joy programs, and other resources are available. elizabethelliot.org. And be sure to leave a review for us sometime. A listener known as Star Fishek says, Elizabeth Elliot's podcast came at an opportune time, and her recordings speak to me through various seasons I am in. I am thoroughly blessed by her humility and wisdom and thankful her recordings are available. God has used her to teach me about him and shape me into his likeness. If you're going through a trial, Elizabeth had been there, and possibly one of her recordings will bless you too. Well, thank you for that review. And friend, thank you for joining us today. It's been good to have you with us, whether at the office, maybe at home, maybe as you've been getting some exercise. Thanks for joining us today. And until next time, may God remind you daily, you're loved with an everlasting love. And underneath are the everlasting arms 